Content warning. This episode of So Many Books, So Little Time contains very heavily racist and potentially sexist themes, including the exploitation of indigenous populations and indigenous cultures in a pseudo manner in order to try and prove a point. Hey, hey folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. This week, we will be continuing our read of Brave New World by Aldous Huxley with Chapter 7. Cue. Yay. Cue. Okay, so uh, we've... Um, we're we're finally recording. Uh, it's a lovely temperate day outside. Over here it is. We're still remote recording, even though, as we said before, we only live about a twenty-minute drive away. It's it's quite different because the Gold Coast is strange like that. And although they have, um, well, they've relaxed some of the social distancing rules. I'm not in a position to take any risks so it's a thing i don't know if i said it on the podcast i think i might have said to you privately but um last week or two weeks ago when they were talking about um cutting back on all the restrictions someone on reddit posted a picture of a burning house and said hey the fire has reached its peak let's go back inside <laughs> yeah yeah it's not only for the sake of you know i don't want to end up on a ventilator and die and you know my take out my mum whilst I'm at it because that's the likely outcome of this situation I did a, I did a risk calculation using some available tools to me anyone has the tools but tools that are, that I know that are fairly reliable um, at estimating risk and I'm like ah, one in four chance that's great let's not let's not even go there I refuse this is not happening yeah, that's, yeah, that no, that that that's very that's very smart of you. That's worse odds than Russian roulette, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's not good. But but I did also calculate that the risk factor of being exposed if I remain isolated and avoid the heck out of this, and apply appropriate extreme social distancing as we like to, or physical distancing, the odds of me catching it are very low. So staying in the house. So win win. <laughs> win win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm tired of being in my home, but it's okay. We'll get over it. Yes, yeah, so, so, sooner or later, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to record in the same room again. One day. It, it may be three books hence, but... <laughs> At this rate, yeah, no. The longer this lingers, the, the worse it gets for communities that already are suffering isolation, which is just, it's such a pain. But let's not go down that path, because that way lie despair and desperation and we do not like those yeah in, instead let's uh take an uplifting look at our current book Yay! brave new world which you know um i said that facetiously but there's a bit of truth to that because the last chapter had more character work so we got to speculate on what might be happening with the story and you know it, yes. in, it engaged our curiosity i mean more to yours than mine because i kind of know the broad strokes of what's going to happen but yes and 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 i mean my sympathy for the characters is almost non-existent at this point <laughs> but it's okay <laughs> it's okay it's because the way that it's written 
doesn't really want me to be sympathetic to them, I don't think, either way. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say, I always get kind of the, the distinction between sympathy and empathy confused, but I think more it's that you, they, the book wants you to be able to relate to their plight and kind of what they're going through, but kind of also not be on board who they are. Yeah. Look, empathy I can have because I can understand why they are the way they are. I have understanding towards why they are the way they are. Even if they are fictional characters, I get what's happening in Mm -hmm. terms of why they are the way they are. But I don't have to like it. I don't have to sympathize with the choice of behavior or the indoctrinated behavior. For example, the looking down on Lenina by um, Bernard and things like that. That, um, that, 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 and it's, the way he's doing it is just so jerkish. Well, he's reinforcing the very thing that he was appalled by. So he, he's contributing to the mindset of she sees herself as meat, mm-hmm. right? And yet he's contributing to it. So... I'm sorry. If if you're wanting someone to encourage to encourage someone to not look at themselves as meat, mm. maybe treat them with a mediocre of respect. Yes, yes. Um, although I guess he's not really respectful of himself. So how could he uh, respect apply that others? Another yeah, person? it's it's it's. I mean, if we dissected it, I'm sure that people with psychology qualifications could break down Bernard a lot better, but. Uh, well, it takes a psychologist to break down a psychologist. Maybe no. It's it's the tra- I get why he is the way he is because of trauma and the indoctrination of society. Like it makes sense, but he, I'm sorry, it's just ass backwards is the way I'd like to phrase it. It's it's just makes you can't get someone to see themselves as more than they are if you don't treat them as more than they are. Okay, uh, let me ask you this, though, because this hasn't come up, and I wonder if I forget if it actually does come up in the book, but why do you think Bernard is going to this reservation? What do you think his motivation is for taking this trip? I think he just wants to see something different or feel better about himself, because if if he doesn't fit into the society that he already lives in and has to just function in, at least you've got this re- reservation, so to speak, where he sees behavior as he, you know, he would A, either see himself as superior to, or B, from a purely psychology point of view, wants to contrast between what happens if you indoctrinate and what happens if you don't. Right, kind of how the when the director signed his paper before he... Uh unleashed his anger on Bernard kind of said, you know, I was like you. I thought I'd like to see how these people live. It, it's curious. Yes, it's it's a purely it's I think half of it is going to be detached entertainment because you saw how entertained he was. He was entertained when the when uh, the supervisor, when the director lost control. He was oh. entertained by that as opposed to the normal behavior is, huh, I sh- I've just ticked off my boss and I could lose my job. No, it was, no. It was only later when Helmholtz told him that he's probably very likely going to lose his job that he went, oh, crap. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the, the, miserable. There was a disconnect. There was a disconnect between reality and consequences. And, and it, it was just his very uh, observation and self-focused and detached from reality, if that 
makes it, which is funny because he doesn't really take Soma that much. So the fact that he's detached from reality, even without Soma, would explain why when he takes it. Like, it's it's interesting. I think there's something going on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Because you mentioned not liking any of them. Is there like? Is there like a? Um, is there like a uh, a spectrum of there's someone you have the least sympathy for and someone you have the most sympathy for? In terms of most to least sympathy, I think Helmholtz. I can understand. I, look, I understand all of them. They're, I get why. Bernard's behavior has rubbed me the wrong way a lot, but we've also seen a lot more of Bernard. Like he his is, superficiality, he's very superficial. He like, is our protagonist, for lack of a better word. Yeah, he's our central character. Helmholtz is interesting. The only thing that I'm not finding sympathetic is that he uses people. Mm-hmm. So you've, they've all got their own flaws. Lenina is essentially... She's, she's trying to be a good drone. Like, she doesn't... She's afraid too much to not be a good drone. Like, not fear as much as she's completely has to dive into the program to exist. Her sense of identity doesn't exist, which is, I mean, that's the whole point. The individual doesn't exist, really. The individual only exists as a function of being productive for the whole. Now, see, I think she's gone with Bernard completely for entertainment. She thinks it'll be a laugh. Yes, yes. Well, look, yeah, they're, they're all superficial and gross and pathetic. They're hollow. They're hollow. Emotionally, they are definitely children. Yeah, like, infantile, was... as the word's been used many times in the book. In fact, I, the more I reflect on it, the more I, amusing I find that the director basically just said it goes, you're not being infantile enough out in public, and that's a problem. And that's the thing that's weird because I don't actually think that infants are immature as much as they have their primary urges that they are trying to determine how they can be met. I mean, I'm not going to go into Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs and all that, but like the, the idea of like when you are younger, you have less control over your emotional state because your emotions are the way that you recognize and you also- whether something. Oh, and so, communicate sorry. it. No, and communicate it, yeah. Oh, and you rely on someone else, mostly your parents, for everything. Yes, you are not yes. self-sufficient in any way. No. And self-sufficiency is generally not something that... It, it's something that you develop over time. And this is that's been completely taken away. There is no self-sufficiency. There is only dependency. And when you do that, like... It's funny, we say self-sufficiency, but really, there's no such thing. Because even when you're an adult, and even if you were completely self-sufficient, if you want to be part of a society, Mm -hmm. you cannot be self-sufficient because a society is founded on the premise of interdependence and interconnectedness. Yeah, and and just how uh, much... uh Social connection, like, uh, it imp- improves mood and just... It impacts, yeah, there's a, there's impact on each other and to each other, whether this be materially or emotionally, um, th- there's an impact. And I think that's something that it's not very well... It's kind of hard. I think we need to read on to understand it a little bit more, but it's complicated, that's for sure. Well, yes, we're uh, we're about to actually travel into the reservation, and and I'm 
I know Rue has many reservations about where this might go. Mm. <laughs> but, but yeah, so my theory before was that we're going to encounter the lady. Yes. And that she's going to have had a child or that she's pregnant or like she's born a child. <gasps> Shock. Yes. Yes, she's she's um such filth through. I know. How could I? But the thing is that I want I wonder how well she'd cope with that given that she'd be indoctrinated to heck and back. Yeah, just just how it would it would be such an alien um but but Concept. then again you, you 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 talked a lot about the sexism inherent if that is yeah. the case how you know in last episode you talked about oh what if she held the baby and suddenly her mothering instincts Yeah we don't in. know we don't know for sure what would have would have happened and I, I think that there's going to be a lot of this this is probably going to trigger off the whole nature versus nurture discussion which I believe is also a big facet of this book I mean we had that right at the beginning how much of it is evolutionary adaptation to nature and how much of it is nurture that we like these kids get programmed essentially yeah. through uh abuse yeah yes yeah so so even even one one step further the whole positive versus negative reinforcement idea yeah which is a form of um of nurture theory, i guess attachment theory also kicks in it's just it's a big mess of psychology man <laughs> 1920s psychology it's still, they had some solid stuff here and there. Well, remember, it's only happened once, but instead of saying R. Ford, once the director said R. F uh, Freud. Freud. I almost said fraud. That was the name that was in my head. Well, I'm not going to go down that path. <laughs> but Freud, yeah, because obviously his theories in the 1920s, that was kind of when it was kind of shaking the the um, foundations of what society Absolutely. knew about psychology and sort of they, it actually started a little bit earlier the whole discussion of humans as having that they're being more more than say being possessed by a spirit to explain their behavior was a little earlier and that education contributed to it our environment the way that we're raised that that there and that there's inherent quote unquote human impulses and that that started a little bit earlier but freud formalized some of the thoughts that hadn't quite been pinned down but enough about freud for now i think we should uh jump into chapter seven while the jumping's good yep let's go okay my kindle has turned off so let me turn it back on chapter seven the mesa was like a ship becalmed in a strait of lion-colored dust. The channel wound between precipitous banks, and slanting from one wall to the other across the valley ran a streak of green, the river and its fields. On the prow of that stone ship in the center of the strait, and seemingly a part of it, a shaped and geometrical outcrop of the naked rock, stood the pueblo of Malpais, block above block, each story smaller than the one below, the tall houses rose like stepped and amputated pyramids into the blue sky. At their feet lay a straggle of low buildings, a crisscross of walls, and on three sides the precipices fell sheer into the plain. A few columns of smoke mounted perpendicularly into the windless air and were lost. Queer, said Lenina. Very queer. It was their ordinary word of condemnation. I don't like it, and I don't like that man. She pointed to the Indian guide who had been appointed to take them up to the Pueblo. Her feeling was evidently reciprocated. 
The very back of the man, as he walked along before them, was hostile, sullenly contemptuous. Besides, she lowered her voice, he smells. Bernard did not attempt to deny it. They walked on. Suddenly, it was as though the whole air had come alive and were pulsing, pulsing with the indefatigable movement of blood. Up there, in Malpais, the drums were being beaten. Their feet fell in with the rhythm of that mysterious heart. They quickened their pace. Their path led them to the foot of the precipice. The sides of the great Mesa ship towered over them, 300 feet to the gunwale. I wish we could have brought the plane, said Lenina, looking up resentfully at the blank, impending rock face. I hate walking, and you feel so small when you're on the ground at the bottom of a hill. They walked along for some way in the shadow of the mesa, rounded the projection, and there, in a water-worn ravine, was the way up the companion ladder. They climbed. It was a very steep path that zigzagged from side to side of the gully. Sometimes the pulsing of the drums was all but inaudible. At others, they seemed to be beating only just round the corner. When they were halfway up, an eagle flew past so close to them that the wind of his wings blew chill on their faces. In a crevice of the rock lay a pile of bones. It was all oppressively queer, and the Indians smelt stronger and stronger. They emerged at last from the ravine into the full sunlight. The top of the mesa was a flat deck of stone. Like the Charing Tea Tower, was Lenina's comment. But she was not allowed to enjoy her discovery of this reassuring resemblance for long. A padding of soft feet made them turn round. Naked from throat to navel, their dark brown bodies painted with white lines, like asphalt tennis courts, Lenina was later to explain, their faces inhuman with dabblings of scarlet, black, and ochre. Two Indians came running along the path. Their black hair was braided with fox fur and red flannel. Cloaks of turkey feathers fluttered from their shoulders. Huge feather diadems exploded gaudily round their heads. With every step they took came the clink and rattle of their silver bracelets, their heavy necklaces of bone and turquoise beads. They came on without a word, running quietly in their deerskin moccasins. One of them was holding a feather brush. The other carried, in either hand, what looked at a distance like three or four pieces of thick rope. One of the ropes writhed uneasily, and suddenly Lenina saw that they were snakes. The men came nearer and nearer. Their dark eyes looked at her, but without giving any sign of recognition, any smallest sign that they had seen her or were aware of her existence. The writhing snake hung limp again with the rest. The man passed. I don't like it, said Lenina. I don't like it. She liked even less what awaited her at the entrance to the Pueblo where their guide had left them while he went inside for instructions. The dirt to start with, the piles of rubbish, the dust, the dogs, the flies. Her face wrinkled up into a grimace of disgust. She held her handkerchief to her nose. But how can they live like this? She broke out in a voice of indignant incredulity. It wasn't possible. Bernard shrugged his shoulders philosophically. Anyhow, he said, they've been doing it for the last five or six thousand years so I suppose they must be used to it by now. But cleanliness is next to fordliness, she insisted. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, I'm letting that one go, because I can't. Uh, uh, yes, and civilization is sterilization, Bernard went on, concluding on a tone of irony the second hypnopedic lesson in elementary hygiene. But these people have never heard of our Ford, and they aren't civilized, so there's no point in... 
Oh, she gripped his arm. Look. An almost naked Indian was very slowly climbing down the ladder from the first floor terrace of a neighboring house, rung after run, with the tremulous caution of extreme old age. His face was profoundly wrinkled and black, like a mask of obsidian. The toothless mouth had fallen in. At the corners of the lips and on each side of the chin, a few long bristles gleamed almost white against the dark skin. The long, unbraided hair hung down in gray wisps round his face. His body was bent and emaciated to the bone, almost fleshless. Very slowly he came down, pausing in each rung before he ventured another step. "'What's the matter with him?' whispered Lenina. Her eyes were wide with horror and amazement. "'He's old, that's all,' Bernard answered as carelessly as he could. He too was startled, but he made an effort to seem unmoved. Sorry, that's a very hipster kind of thing, and I was cool before everyone else was cool. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not bothered. This doesn't stress me out. I know exactly what's going on. Oh, my God. I've never seen age before, but I know what age is. Yes, it's sad. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, because remember, uh, for some reason, people in their civilization don't age. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. At, le- at least not like this. No. Natural, as one might say. Yeah. Old, she repeated. But the director's old. Lots of people are old. They're not like that. Ah, here we go. Yeah. That's because we don't allow them to be like that. We preserve them from diseases. We keep their internal secretions artificially balanced at a youthful equilibrium. We don't permit their magnesium-calcium ratio to fall below what it was at 30. We give them transfusion of young blood. We keep their metabolism permanently stimulated, so of course they don't look like that. Partly, he added, because most of them die long before they reach this old creature's age. Youth almost unimpaired till sixty, and then crack. The end. Okay, that explains our chimneys. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Also, uh, if anyone's seen Midsummer. Okay, I don't know. So. Yeah. It sounds like the 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 Viking uh, and old Japanese and multiple cultures who've done this who do this. Yeah, yeah, kind kind of the idea that in certain cultures uh, we 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 end life at a certain point so people don't go through the degradation of kind kind, kind yeah, that, of a that I'm sure that's the reason and not because they're just not wanting to to use resources on the elderly and preserve wisdom and have power control over you know, it's long story. yeah yeah it's kind of story. kind of like even if it's not for uh, noble purposes the idea of a cultural euthanasia yes let's i have feelings on this especially because it's hitting a little bit too close to oh, yes. the current climate so yeah. let's not let's not let's, let's not. just continue then. yes but lenina was not listening she's not listening to you rue of course she isn't it's lenina <laughs> she was watching the old man slowly slowly he came down his feet touched the ground he turned in their deep sunken orbits his eyes were still extraordinarily bright they looked at her for a long moment expressionlessly, without surprise, as though she had not been there at all. Then slowly, with bent back, the old man hobbled past them and was gone. But it's terrible, Lenina whispered. It's awful. We ought not to have come here. She felt in her pocket for her soma, only to discover that, by some unprecedented oversight, she had left the bottle down at the rest house. 
Bernard's pockets were also empty. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm just going to point out, Lenina, when Bernard said it multiple times, hey, do you want to stay here and just enjoy the hotel? Did she take that opportunity? <laughs> no. So you know what? Yeah. You bake your cake, you eat it. So there we go. I mean, it might be better if she actually had her soma bottle, but nope, she left that at the rest Genius. house. Genius. Yeah, because they're alpha pluses, apparently. So, <laughs> so this might be the first time in her life she's had to go without, like, artificial happiness. Or, or at least artificial disconnect, disassociation. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a good idea. Great. So, so, so she's going to experience this place at full force. Well, this is going to be a good idea. Excellent. Remember, I think a couple episodes, I asked how you thought Lenina might uh, cope on this trip, and you're like, "Oh, she's not going to cope well." She's not. <laughs> little and did you know that summer. <laughs> yeah, little did you know how right you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. I, Poor I mean, aside from that small aside about Bernard explaining about age and that, it's pretty much all been Lenina's reaction so far. Yeah. Look, look I feel bad for Lenina, but. She's emblematic of her society. She is. She is very much so. But yes. Lenina was left to face the horrors of Malpace unaided. They came crowding in on her thick and fast. The spectacle of two young women giving breast to their babies made her blush and turn away her face. She had never seen anything so indecent in her life. And what made it worse was that instead of tactfully ignoring it, Bernard proceeded to make open comments on this revoltingly viviparous scene. Ashamed, now that the effects of the soma had worn off, of the weakness he had displayed that morning in the hotel, he went out of his way to show himself strong and unorthodox. Oh great, so he's compensating. She has no soma. (laughs) It's not going to end well. No, no, no. What a wonderfully intimate relationship, he said, deliberately outrageous. And what an intensity of feeling it must generate. I often think one may have missed something in not having had a mother. And perhaps you've missed something in not being a mother, Lenina. Imagine yourself sitting there with a little baby of your own. Bernard, how can you? The passage... Uh, hmm? It's a little bit like swearing at her. Yeah. Because we know just how badly they, they consider this. Yes, like who your mother is. Oh, how dare you imply I had a mother. Yeah, mother. <laughs> how? <Ugh. laughs> yeah. The passage of an old woman with ophthalmia and a disease of the skin distracted her from her indignation. Let's go away, she begged. I don't like it. But at this moment, their guide came back and beckoning them to follow, led the way down the narrow street between the houses. They rounded a corner. A dead dog was lying on a rubbish heap. A woman with a goiter was looking for lice in the hair of a small girl. Their guide halted at the foot of a ladder, raised his hand perpendicularly, then darted it horizontally forward. They did what he mutely commanded, climbed the ladder and walked through the doorway, to which it gave access into a long, narrow room, rather dark and smelling of smoke and cooked grease, and long-worn, long-unwashed clothes. At the further end of the room was another doorway, through which came a shaft of sunlight and the noise, very loud and close, of the drums. They stepped across the threshold and found themselves on a wide terrace. Below them, shut in by the tall houses, was the village square, crowded with Indians, bright blankets and feathers and black hair and the glint of turquoise and dark skins shining with heat. Lenina put her handkerchief to her nose again. 
In the open space at the center of the square were two circular platforms of masonry and trampled clay, the roofs, it was evident, of underground chambers, for in the center of each platform was an open hatchway, with a ladder emerging from the lower darkness. A sound of subterranean flute playing came up and was almost lost in the steady, remorseless persistence of the drums. Lenina liked the drums. Shutting her eyes, she abandoned herself to their soft, repeated thunder, allowed it to invade her consciousness more and more completely, till at last there was nothing left in the world but that one deep pulse of sound. It reminded her reassuringly of the synthetic noises made at solidarity services and Ford's Day celebrations. Orgy-porgy, she whispered to herself. These drums beat out just the same rhythms. There was a sudden startling burst of singing. Hundreds of male voices crying out fiercely in harsh metallic unison. A few long notes in silence, the thunderous silence of the drums, then shrill in a neighing treble, the women's answer, then again the drums, and once more the men's deep, savage affirmation of their manhood. Queer, yes, the place was queer. So was the music. So were the clothes and the goiters and the skin diseases and the old people. But the performance itself, there seemed to be nothing specially queer about that. It reminds me of a lower caste community sing, she told Bernard. But a little later, it was reminding her a good deal less of that innocuous function. For suddenly, there had swarmed up from those round chambers underground a ghastly troop of monsters. Hideously masked or painted out of all semblance of humanity, they had tramped out a strange limping dance round the square, round and again round, singing as they went, round and round, each time a little faster, and the drums had changed and quickened their rhythm, so that it became like the pulsing of fever in the ears, and the crowd had begun to sing with the dancers, louder and louder, and first one woman had shrieked, and then another, and another, as though they were being killed, and then suddenly the leader of the dancers broke out of the line, ran to a big wooden chest which was standing at one end of the square, raised the lid, and pulled out a pair of black snakes. A great yell went up from the crowd, and all the other dancers ran towards him with outstretched hands. He tossed the snakes to the first comers, then dipped back into the chest for more, more and more, black snakes, and brown and mauled, he flung them out. And then the dance began again on a different rhythm. Round and round they went with their snakes, shakily, with a soft undulating movement at the knees and hips. Round and round. Then the leader gave a signal, and one after another, all the snakes were flung down in the middle of the square. An old man came up from underground and sprinkled them with cornmeal, and from the other hatchway came a woman and sprinkled them with water from a black jar. Then the old man lifted his hand, and startlingly, terrifyingly, there was absolute silence. The drums stopped beating. Life seemed to have come to an end. The old man pointed towards the two hatchways that gave entrance to the lower world. And slowly, raised by invisible hands from below, there emerged from the one a painted image of an eagle, from the other that of a man, naked and nailed to a cross. They hung there, seemingly self-sustained, as though watching. The old man clapped his hands, naked but for a white cotton breechcloth. A boy of about eighteen stepped out of the crowd and stood before him, his hands crossed over his chest, his head bowed. The old man made the sign of the cross over him and turned away. Slowly, the boy began to walk round the writhing heap of snakes. He had completed the first circuit and was halfway through the second, when from among the dancers, 
a tall man wearing the mask of a coyote and holding in his hand a whip of plated leather advanced towards him. The boy moved on as though unaware of the other's existence. The coyote man raised his whip. There was a long moment of expectancy, then a swift movement, the whistle of the lash, and its loud, flat-sounding impact on the flesh. The boy's body quivered, but he made no sound. He walked on at the same slow, steady pace. The coyote struck again, again, and at every blow at first a gasp, and then a deep groan went up from the crowd. The boy walked. Twice, thrice, four times round he went. The blood was streaming. Five times round, six times round. Suddenly, Lenina covered her face with her hands and began to sob. Oh, stop them, stop them, she implored. But the whip fell and fell inexorably seven times round. Then all at once the boy staggered and, still without a sound, pitched forward onto his face. Bending over him, the old man touched his back with a long white feather, held it up for a moment, crimson for the people to see, then shook it thrice over the snakes. A few drops fell, and suddenly the drums broke out again into a panic of hurrying notes. There was a great shout. The dancers rushed forward, picked up the snakes, and ran out of the square. Men, women, children, all the crowd ran after them. A minute later, the square was empty. Only the boy remained, prone where he had fallen, quite still. Three old women came out of one of the houses, and with some difficulty lifted him and carried him in. The eagle and the man on the cross kept guard for a little while over the empty pueblo. Then, as though they had seen enough, sank slowly down through their hatchways, out of sight, into the netherworld. Lenina was still sobbing. Too awful, she kept repeating, and all Bernard's consolations were in vain. Too awful, that blood, she shuddered. Oh, I wish I had my Soma. There was the sound of feet in the inner room. Lenina did not move but sat with her face in her hands, unseen, apart. Only Bernard turned round. The dress of the young man, who now stepped out onto the terrace, was Indian, but his plaited hair was straw-colored, his eyes a pale blue, and his skin a white skin, bronzed. "'Hello, good morrow,' said the stranger, in faultless but peculiar English. "'You're civilized, aren't you? You come from the other place, outside the reservation?' "'Who on earth?' Bernard began in astonishment. The young man sighed and shook his head. A most unhappy gentleman, and pointing to the bloodstains in the center of the square. Do you see that damned spot? he asked in a voice that trembled with emotion. A gram is better than a dam, said Lenina mechanically from behind her hands. I wish I had my Soma. I ought to have been there, the young man went on. Why wouldn't they let me be the sacrifice? I'd have gone round ten times, twelve, fifteen. Palawitwa only got as far as seven. They could have had twice as much blood from me. The multitudinous seas incarnadine. He flung out his arms in a lavish gesture, then despairingly let them fall again. But they wouldn't let me. They disliked me for my complexion. It's always been like that, always. Tears stood in the young man's eyes. He was ashamed and turned away. Astonishment made Lenina forget the deprivation of Soma. She uncovered her face and for the first time looked at the stranger. Do you mean to say that you wanted to be hit with that whip? Still averted from her, the young man made a sign of affirmation. For the sake of the pueblo, to make the rain come and the corn grow, and to please Pukong and Jesus, and then to show that I can bear pain without crying out, yes. And his voice suddenly took on a new resonance. He turned with a proud squaring of the shoulders, a proud defiant lifting of the chin, to show that I'm a man.
Oh. He gave a gasp and was silent, gaping. He had seen, for the first time in his life, the face of a girl whose cheeks were not the color of chocolate or dog skin, whose hair was auburn and permanently waved, and whose expression, amazing novelty, was one of benevolent interest. Okay, just pausing. This... Mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, there's something about this that's rubbing me very much the wrong way. Don't know what it the, is. The ceremony itself or this new character? No, well, the ceremony itself is one thing that's complicated and it's not for me to comment like how it's been. But I, I, I have something I w I'd like to comment on. Because, um, so, the um, this back in England, we witnessed a ceremony uh, that Bernard attended, uh, the, the community ceremony, I guess we'll call yep, it. Yep. And I laughed multiple times reading that because I found it absolutely ridiculous. This one is, I'd say, possibly more intricate and strange, but yet I did not feel the same uh, levity or ridiculousness while reading through it. I think it's because the one that there's one that is um, manufactured in such a way where the meaning is non-existent. Whereas with this one, you have the meaning being for the sake of the community harvest. Like you could tell there was something going on, but for the sake of the community harvest, um, this is being, it, it's, it's something. Like it's a belief that is, um, I think it probably didn't help that when we were reading it, we were reading it from Bernard's perspective. So if you're reading it from Bernard's perspective, he's struggling to find meaning. Maybe, and also as the reader, I think I was too, be, um, maybe there's a little bit of, well, like this is a native ceremony and just being who I am, like I want to give it maybe the respect it deserves rather than try and ridicule it, even though this is a fictional yeah, and it's 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 I think because we cannot like it's not that we think that this is necessarily legit. In fact, probably is, like it doesn't appear to be legit. Well, in any he way. he he just said to please Pukong and Jesus. So obviously, like elements of different um, yeah different like old religions and old ways of doing things have melded together in this uh, society. But the difference is that they're not doing the way that they're functioning as a community and their approach to community isn't for consumption. So well, they have a community. <laughs> they have a community for one, yeah. There's connection, there's a need for one another in a different way. Whereas, I mean, in, in the other society, quote unquote, civilization, they also have dependencies and needs on each other. That's yeah. not gone. It's just that, that um, I guess the respect for that connection is absent. The reason they need each other is order, in order to be consumed and to consume. Whereas in this case, it's a bit more like, you, you can assume that if they're not working on that premise, that they actually care about the well-being of each other. Yeah. Not I, just I mean, as components of a society. I mean, from that, that ritual itself, I, I don't get that personally, but I see what you mean just based on, obviously, this is in opposition to what we know their society to be. So, yes, they would. Well, even what he said as well, I wish they had chosen me. I, I would have made a better harvest because I could have been whipped more times. Mm -mm. But but then we get into this little bit of more intricacy where he's like, but because I'm white, that they don't want to use me. Yeah, it's a little bit... I think this is going to be very hard to reflect on because there's no way to reflect on something that is quote-unquote um, being described as 
various things that are race, racially charged terms. Yeah, well, that's very true. It's, and I think and, you know, because just, we just are ha- not, we are not. For I, I think also both of us know that for either of us to make commentary on whether something is or isn't legit or is or isn't, like it's not our place to make that comment. And it's not because, um, it's not about kind of going, oh, well, the noble, the noble savage kind of bullshit, which right. was perpetuated for a while, which is not right either. It's not giving an overemphasis on things. This is, I mean, this is in a fictional world, but yeah. we know that in the real world, there is a, a significant lack of respect and appreciation and, or it's over commercialized. And then you end up with all these bloody, um, sorry, dream catchers everywhere and whatever is a commercial thing. So or it's we don't, just, uh, it's surface level. People pay mouth service to respecting such, uh, exactly. communities, but they don't really they don't really, yeah. And I, I feel that it's not appropriate, for example, for me to make any commentary or reflection other than, look, in the context of this book, it's being depicted as a, a ritual that has social implications and there's a belief system in place that that community ascribes to. The same way that in that civilization they have a belief system they ascribe to, but the way that that belief system exists in the other society is a bit... Um, we can mock it because we actually live in a variant of it. That yeah, that's very true, and and I think also we can mock it as well because as we've said multiple times now, it feels like this book is somewhat satirical. Yes, is written in a way that's satirical. Um, my feelings on the author using the idea of indigenous mm. populations is not. Like, I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't necessarily feel that it's appropriate. I think that the point could have been made without it. Right. But he's just trying to... He was trying to to make a point. And whatever his point was, in this regard, I think it's probably going to pass me by mainly because I'm I'm a bit guarded against going into that thought process. Well, I I will say that visiting this reservation is very plot dependent. Now whether they could have told the story without going into like the ceremonies of these people perhaps but by the end perhaps you'll see what i mean where like lenina having to undergo trauma is necessary for this plot because both bernard and um helmholtz have experienced trauma on on some level they're not the same kind of trauma, but they are trauma. Whereas Lenina is just status quo to the max. And so for her to actually be jarred out of her complacency to witness something that is so completely different can be effective to to enable her to grow. Otherwise, you have no growth. It can also just backfire and, and, and smush it out. I'm talking in a literary sense. We don't need trauma to grow in general. It should not be the way. It's not usually very productive. Yes, yes. It's in fact the opposite. It tends to stifle us when we go out of our way to seek it or create it. No, no. But if it's in this particular case, it's for a plot point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I get it. Like for a plot point, this is necessary. For a plot point, we're establishing that this fair, fair person who I'm going to go with as being the child of the director definitely and the lady. Because, I mean... It, it it pretty much now that this this white character in this reservation has been um uh introduced it, it's it's almost you, you know the sign is like 
You were right, Rue, is just flashing above yeah, my like, head. Oh, okay, <laughs> there we go. This is important. Um, but the fact that he's also isolated and not accepted by the tribe, even also, though he's trying. Did um, I tripped up a bit because there was just a, one section where, he, let's see if I can find the section as well. He used uh, some very large words that I, I've never used before. Ah, the multitudinous he's, he's seas using, Yeah, he's using expressions that are they look like shakespeare there it is um do you see that damn spot that's shakespeare <laughs> out damn spot out yeah and and his movements his physical movements he, he he's overly dramatic yes and now he's um like the whole idea of to show that i'm a man and realizes oh this is a woman oh this is a woman that's different like that's yeah, this is. I'm curious how he's learned to speak, and where he's got like this. This just there's stuff. There's stuff about this that's just a bit weird. Let's find out. Yes, let's do it. So, um, I think I ended at benevolent interest. And and notice, I am not even starting on the racism because it's there and it's just. It's um, evident. And racism as a plot point is always something that makes me go. Eh. Do better. Well, yes, but also the fact that the author, I mean, yes, in this case, it is about a character having seen someone that isn't like the others around, around like physical specimens that he is familiar with, but it's very, I don't know, the exotification and, and the, in this case, it's reverse exotification, I guess, if that was actually a thing, but it's just <laughs> weird. It's weird. There's something about it just makes me go. Yeah, eh, it, it was a choice. It's a choice. Well, let's a continue. Choice. Yes. Lenina was smiling at him. Such a nice-looking boy, she was thinking, and a really beautiful body. The blood rushed up into the young man's face. He dropped his eyes, raised them again for a moment, only to find her still smiling at him, and was so much overcome that he had to turn away and pretend to be looking very hard at something on the other side of the square. Bernard's questions made a diversion. Who? How? When? From where? Keeping his eyes fixed on Bernard's face, for so passionately did he long to see Lenina smiling that he simply dared not look at her, the young man tried... Hmm? It's like Bernard. The young man tried to explain himself. Linda and he, Linda was his mother, the word made Lenina look uncomfortable, were strangers in the reservation. Linda had come from the other place long ago before he was born with a man who was his father. Bernard pricked up his ears. She had gone walking alone in those mountains over there to the north, had fallen down a steep place and hurt her head. Go on, go on, said Bernard excitedly. Some hunters from Malpace had found her and brought her to the Pueblo. As for the man who was his father, Linda had never seen him again. His name was Tomakin. Yes, Thomas was the DHC's first name. He must have flown away, back to the other place. Away without her. A bad, unkind, unnatural man. And so I was born in Malpace, he concluded. In Malpace. And he shook his head. The squalor of that little house on the outskirts of the Pueblo. A space of dust and rubbish separated it from the village. Two famine-stricken dogs were nosing obscenely in the garbage at its door. Inside, when they entered, the twilight stank and was loud with flies. Linda, the young man called. 
From the inner room, a rather hoarse female voice said, Coming. They waited. In bowls on the floor were the remains of a meal, perhaps of several meals. The door opened. A very stout blonde squaw stepped across the threshold and stood looking at the strangers, staring incredulously, her mouth open. Lenina noticed with disgust that two of the front teeth were missing, and the color of the ones that remained. She shuddered. It was worse than the old man. So fat, and all the lines in her face, the flabbiness, the wrinkles, and the sagging cheeks with those purplish blotches, and the red veins on her nose, the bloodshot eyes, and that neck, that neck, and the blanket she wore over her head, ragged and filthy, and under the brown sack-shaped tunic, those enormous breasts, the bulge of the stomach, the hips. Oh, much worse than the old man, much worse. And suddenly the creature burst out in a torrent of speech, rushed at her with outstretched arms, and Ford, Ford, it was too revolting. In another moment she'd be sick, pressed her against the bulge, the bosom, and began to kiss her. Ford, to kiss, slubberingly, and smelled too horrible obviously never had a bath, and simply reeked of that beastly stuff that was put into Delta and Epsilon bottles. No, it wasn't true about Bernard. Positively stank of alcohol. She broke away as quickly as she could. A blubbered and distorted face confronted her. The creature was crying. Oh, my dear, my dear. The torrent of words flowed sobbingly. If you knew how glad, after all these years, a civilized face, yes, in civilized clothes, because I thought I should never see a piece of real acetate silk again. She fingered the sleeve of Lenina's shirt. The nails were black. And those adorable viscous velotine shorts. Do you know, dear, I've still got my old clothes, the ones I came in, put away in a box. I'll show you them afterwards. Though, of course, the acetate has all gone into holes. But such a lovely white bandolier. Though I must say your green Morocco is even lovelier. Not that it did me much good, that bandolier. Her tears began to flow again. I suppose John told you what I had to suffer, and not a gram of soma to be had, only a drink of mescal every now and then, when Pope used to bring it. Pope is a boy I used to know, but it makes you feel so bad afterwards, the mescal does, and you're sick with the piotal. Besides, it always made that awful feeling of being ashamed much worse the next day, and I was so ashamed. Just think of it, me, a beta, having a baby. Put yourself in my place. The mere suggestion made Lenina shudder. Though it wasn't my fault, I swear, because I still don't know how it happened. Seeing that I did all the Malthusian drill, you know, by numbers. One, two, three, four, always, I swear it. But all the same, it happened. And of course, there wasn't anything like an abortion center here. Is it still down in Chelsea, by the way? She asked. Lenina nodded. And still floodlighted on Tuesdays and Fridays? Lenina nodded again. That lovely pink glass tower. Poor Linda lifted her face and with closed eyes ecstatically contemplated the bright remembered image. And the river at night, she whispered. Great tears oozed slowly out from behind her tight shut eyelids and flying back in the evening from Stoke Pogues and then a hot bath and vibrovacuum massage. But there, she drew a deep breath, shook her head, opened her eyes again, sniffed once or twice, then blew her nose on her fingers and wiped them on the skirt of her tunic. Oh, I'm so sorry, she said in response to Lenina's involuntary grimace of disgust. I oughtn't to have done that. I'm sorry. But what are you to do when there aren't any handkerchiefs? I remember how it used to upset me. All that dirt and nothing being septic. I had an awful cut on my head when they first brought me here. You can't imagine what they used to put on it. Filth. Just filth. Civilization is sterilization, I used to say to them. And streptococci to Bambury tea to see a fine bathroom in W.C. 
as though they were children, but of course they didn't understand. How should they? And in the end, I suppose I got used to it. And anyhow, how can you keep things clean when there isn't hot water laid on? And look at those clothes. This beastly wool isn't like acetate. It lasts and lasts. And <laughs> yeah, because the consumer society says, <laughs> like, lasting is bad. <laughs> like, uh... You wash your clothes? Gasp. <laughs> yes. Make it last. Yeah. And you're supposed to mend it if it gets torn. But I'm a beta. I worked in the fertilizing room. Nobody ever taught me to do anything like that. It wasn't my business. Besides, it never used to be right to mend clothes. Throw them away when they've got holes in them and buy new. The more stitches, the less riches. Isn't that right? Mending's antisocial. But it's all different here. It's like living with lunatics. Everything they do is mad. She looked round, saw John and Bernard had left them and were walking up and down in the dust and garbage outside the house, but nonetheless confidentially lowering her voice and leaning, while Lenina stiffened and shrank, so close that the blown reek of embryo poison stirred the hair on her cheek. For instance, she hoarsely whispered, Take the way they have one another here. Mad, I tell you. Absolutely mad. Everybody belongs to everyone else, don't they? Don't they? She insisted, tugging at Lenina's sleeve. Lenina nodded her averted head, let out the breath she had been holding, and managed to draw another one, relatively untainted. Well, here, the other went on, nobody's supposed to belong to more than one person. And if you have people in the ordinary way, the others think you're wicked and antisocial. They hate and despise you. Once a lot of women came and made a sing because their men came to see me. Well, why not? And then they rushed at me. No, it was too awful. I can't tell you about it. Linda covered her face with her hands and shuddered. They're so hateful, the women here. Bad, mad, and cruel. And of course they don't know anything about Malthusian drill or bottles or decanting or anything of that sort. So they're having children all the time, like dogs. It's too revolting. And to think that I... Oh, Ford, Ford, Ford. And yet John was a great comfort to me. I don't know what I should have done without him. Even though he did get so upset whenever a man, quite as a tiny boy even, once but that was when he was bigger. He tried to kill poor Waihuzawa, or was it Pope? Just because I used to have them sometimes, because I never could make him understand that that was what civilized people ought to do. Be mad's infectious, I believe. Anyhow, John seems to have caught it from the Indians, because of course he was with them a lot, even though they always were so beastly to him and wouldn't let him do all the things the other boys did, which was a good thing in a way, because it made him easier for me to condition him a little. Though you've no idea how difficult that is. There's so much one doesn't know. It wasn't my business to know. I mean, when a child asks you how a helicopter works, or who made the world well, what are you to answer if you're a beta and have always worked in the fertilizing room? What are you to answer? Okay, well, we've discovered uh, that theory. Uh, yes, sorry. That theory is a yes. Yeah, that would have been very, it's a very difficult situation. She doesn't know, like, she wouldn't have known what to do. Yeah, because uh, everyone's very specialized. Yes, and that's a problem because it actually means that if they're, well, in their society, they're not ex expecting the unexpected. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, no one it, expects the unexpected. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I think, what, I, I do remember every, every time I've read this, the thing that always struck me more than anything is... Um, how almost uh not only how happy she is to see lenina but how how basically she hasn't really keyed into their way of living 
like okay. I guess yeah. because maybe at her point in life she's too far gone with too much conditioning to be able to adapt. Therefore, mm. it's just like John being brought up from baseline in that society is much easier. So much so that you know he gets mad at the people coming to see his mother when she thinks it's the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, there's a bit of a straddle. It's a bit of a he straddles two worlds, whereas she lives in one. And because he's and she's trapped in the wrong one. And because he looks different, obviously because of who his mother is, the rest of the tribe doesn't treat him right. His mother and father, but yes. Well, I mean, his mother is there. You know. Oh, yeah, 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 he doesn't have a father. That's probably another thing, yeah. That's, um... Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's going to go well. I, I can see Bernard using this information, and I don't think he's going to be going to Iceland. <laughs> oh, you think this is what saves him? Yes. An extraordinary find, as it were. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if they're going to bring her back, though. Would they bring her back to the civilization? I will tell you right now, she wants to go back. She wants to, but whether she can is another topic entirely. Yeah. Like, she... wouldn't she be classified as dead? Or just tainted? Mm. Although, yeah, because although... she would she would be too upsetting to too many people. Mm. Because she's actually aged. Oh, yeah, actually, that's the biggest point, because Lenina is physically repulsed by her. Yeah, and also she would have been physically, like, yeah, would, uh, so this is 18 years ago. She she um, she suggested that the women beat her on at least one occasion. Yeah. Okay, so for 18 years, this is 18 years she's lived in this society. So 18 years ago, she was one of the, the nurses. So one of the the fertilization center people. Mm. So it is it is possible. Oh, so we've heard from the director that he took her to the reservation, right? Yeah. For a laugh, right? Yeah. What if she stuffed up and Bernard's trip? Like maybe she's the reason Bernard doesn't physically look the way that he's meant to look. Oh, you're seeing the connection there. I mean, it might be, and maybe the the director, because he realizes this or noticed that there was this stuff up, um, took her, oh. took her, and because she went for a walk and fell down a mountain. <laughs> and what was the director's story? He went for a nap, and when she woke, he woke up. She wasn't there. Yes, and we looked absolutely everywhere, and yet the locals found her. It just seems so like, like. If you wanted to get rid of someone who made a mistake, that seems like a very difficult way to do it. I mean, well, they do have the islands for those people who just don't want to be part of the society. And even more kind of disturbing, they have their vast, um, uh, what are they called, uh, when you burn things? Um, crematorium yes. thingies. Yeah, incinerators. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff to this that makes me go... But But you know the weird thing as well, like... I understand why you have that thought, because we did read 1984, which is a very nasty dystopia. Like, they treat their populations horribly. Lots of, you know, physical and emotional mental yeah. trauma. Whereas so far, even though the way they built their society is abhorrent, because they it's so based... They treat their people relatively okay, yeah. yeah. But I'm just thinking, if you're, if you're inbuilt to have a certain sense of superiority over your other case... The director as an alpha plus, right, 
and she was a beta minus. So she he would have had his own, and he would have been. This is eighteen years ago, and his trying he's trying to within a sixty year span remain the top dog. Mm. And his his facility. so that competition could, if you were really unlucky, um, not unlucky, but g- given the way that we're seeing that conditioning is a thing, but it's also not a thing always. So you've got people like Helmholtz and you've got people like Bernard that slip through the cracks. Right, right. right. We don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to be the primary aspect to the story. I don't think that's as important to the story as, say, uh, John or her and returning to civilization and what impact that has and Bernard and I think he's not a main character but I could see that the director w- would have sufficient motivation and sufficient prejudice to have instigated this situation not so much the pregnancy but definitely the you, not unless he was curious like, you know what I mean like the the getting rid of her maybe do you believe I mean, the director is the father of the John yes Yes. Okay. There's no way he isn't. Tomakin? Tom yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right, yeah. right. Like I, just, this, I was the... just thinking because it seems like she's taken in a role of being like the village prostitute. It could have been one of the many no. men she's had there. No. No. Um, because I think the point was that she was pregnant. Right. She, she pointed out from the they found her on the bottom of the base and she had a, a head injury and she was like, Right, she didn't have ample time to take her contraceptives or to go to one of the abortion houses that they mentioned. Yes, exactly. So she wouldn't have mentioned all those things, and she would have significantly more children. True, true. I wonder why she hasn't had any more. Well, I'd say that the society that they come from, the civilization, reduces their fertility options. Ah, so like like it's just almost uh, providence that... It's unusual. So yeah, it's mm. a high, which is why she was shocked as well that she was pregnant. That she, yeah. Um, the other thing is also it's interesting that she's substituted soma with other things. Yeah, peyote and a uh, mescal. And I mean, yes, but also that she acknowledges that the, these things make her feel bad and guilty, and and they actually heighten her issues rather than ameliorate them. They make her escape for a while, but then it's back. And she's confront because she's constantly confronted by it, she can't escape. Whereas with the Soma, you know, you escape, and then there's other things to ha- permanently allow you to escape. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But their, their life is one of escape. Yes. The trauma. The trauma is excessive. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I also love that, you know, oh, we, we've met this new character who's uh, been born of... Um, in this reservation what's his name john yes it's a choice the the most generic uh english name (laughs) for a man is his surname smith because that makes a whole bunch of meaning meaning when it comes to indigenous populations oh yeah yeah maybe we'll find out Uh, gross that would be wrong and gross it's yeah. so disrespectful. So, Lexi, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think through in my mind about all the little other things that happened during that, because quite a lot went into that chapter. Well, it, it's basically it's showing, like, if you had someone who's confronted by the social norms that are in a society that isn't founded on their indoctrination, how would they respond? The indoctrination still holds. They're confused. They look at that society as being wrong. Insane, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
this idea of like, oh, everyone belongs to everyone, right? No, no, not in this society. In this society, it's one to one. And I and she still acts so indignant, just like, and you wouldn't believe how mad they get. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Or even just the civilization of sterilization and all these things. Like, well, I don't have access to it, so how's that going to work? And then she, yeah. Or, or even just how she's like, my clothes, they're cotton. I have to wash them cotton. and I mend them. And wool. what is wool. this? Wool. 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 Yeah, okay. wool. Yeah, and then it lasts and I don't understand. And yeah, it's fascinating. It, it is that contrast of, of when you're confronted by the difference, then the difference is wrong and not you. Mm. And, and even, even, you know, she kind of has a lot of self-pity where she's like, I was brought up for this specific purpose. How am I, you know, it's almost like, I don't even know how I've made it this far. Yeah. 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 And she um, has a shoulder in Lenina to cry in and Lenina's just like, ah, get away. <laughs> yeah. Lenina's, Lenina's just completely stressed out and just can't react other than nodding and re knowing that she's a beta intellectually is messing her up it's like yeah. a beta would never be this this is not the beta that it's been it's a little bit like when you encounter bernard and bernard's meant to be an alpha yeah and i, I love that thing she said as well where you know the smell that uh linda gave off she was like oh yeah no no that that that's they they didn't put alcohol in bernard's surrogate no. he doesn't smell mm. like that at all <laughs> Well, not only does he not smell like that, but she recognizes that he is aware of it. Like, she's now seeing an example of what happens when high amounts of alcohol are exposed to someone, and they are different to that. So I'm, I'm assuming they don't drink. No, I think no, the it only thing Soma they use is, is Soma. Yeah, Soma is the only yeah. thing. Yeah. So in terms of substances, the only thing is Soma, which means that now she's seen what the other substances do, she can intellectually go, okay. That's not what makes Bernard different. It's it's not alcohol. That doesn't doesn't actually make so that 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 vil, not villainife not vilification, but that medical, physical, social association is different now. So she's kind of at least there's that. Um, also, she recognizes that Bernard is smart, even if he does not lie. He doesn't color in within the the, the lines. Oh, he has so gone. many like almost uh, for lack of a better word treasonous thoughts about. <clears throat> of the society antisocial thoughts for the society yeah that they are from and yeah it's complicated okay yeah. so on that note yeah uh, uh, well i actually just asked so do you have any speculation on uh how meeting john and linda might uh, uh well you've kind of already said that you think bernard i think gonna use bernard john. yeah bernard's gonna use john but he's not only for his his understanding and edification in terms of because his career but also because he's going to secure himself. He's going to use that against the director. There's no way he wouldn't. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's, um, yeah. Because yeah. from a psychology point of view, and if you're in a society that's consumerist and that kind of thing, he's going to consume John, for lack of a better word. Oh, no, no. I mean, I mean more about I didn't think about him using it as leverage against the director. Because, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Because, I'm, I'm looking at Bernard. There's no way he wouldn't. You, you, it's, you know, mistake, you're ahead of a, you're a director. Mistakes like this aren't becoming of a director. Yes, exactly. You send me uh, to Iceland. I'll let, I'll let them know about this. That or, he, yeah, or he'll just destroy his reputation because he's vindictive. Honestly, Bernard comes across 
as vindictive and yeah. his sense of inferiority because he already feels bad that the the deltas look like him that he looks like the deltas mm. that he's got physical attributes with those that he sees beneath him that would be enough for him to be angry at those who treat him that way who treat him as less or different and the director always treats him as less or different yeah he's desperate not to be different but he is he's basically john in a physical sense but in his in a society where he understands the mechanisms and he applies the mechanisms and yet yeah and so he's he's resentful there's a lot of resentment coming off bernard for sure yeah, from, from from chapter one but the funny thing you talk about that you know how john had that moment where he's like you know if i was the boy in this ceremony it would be yeah. so much better he, he he he's competitive but he he also wants to belong mm. so it's a bit john is desperate to feel like he fits in somewhere and that's going to be dangerous and that will make him a prime victim for being consumed yeah, how how does a man like that who has not been conditioned but is brought to that society, how does that work? And considering he had difficulties with his mum trying to apply the rules of her civilization in their civilization, yeah, this isn't going to end well. There's our, there's our dystopia side, aside from the fact that people are brainless, essentially. Little robots, little human robots. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't see this as ending well. <laughs> Might I just remind you, it is dystopic fiction. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just don't oh. see it ending well for John. Uh, he's also right. seemingly obsessed with Lenina already. Well, or yeah, he, he, he finds seeing a, um, a a woman with the same skin as his who isn't haggard like his mother, probably very intoxicating. Well, there's that. And I mean, if we want to throw a Freudian theories into there mm -hmm. anyway. anyway um so on that note yeah uh, okay well i think that was another lovely podcast a lovely discussion uh we got through another chapter but uh music at the top of the podcast was soma by lionel moser the music at the end of the podcast is i'm the slime by frank zappa you can find me over on twitter at dave underscore the underscore turnip you can find me at rue mcmoo at the same place and our podcast at SMB SLT podcast on both Twitter on Facebook and our email at gmail.com. Uh, please, uh, if you like what we're doing, please leave some feedback on uh, using any of those methods. Uh, we actually received a lovely Facebook message today from a new fan, which uh, bright, brightened both our moods quite uh, exceptionally. Mm hmm. It made us think about Newspeak again. And how <laughs> technically, technically, we are using Newspeak a lot more than, and we're seeing it written a lot more than we're accustomed to, perhaps compared to past use, like um, Lotta. But, you know, the thing I love about the English language is it is ever evolving and flexible. That's what English language is, all languages, except for the ones that have an institution that defines it very rigidly and are not allowing for its growth. We're looking at you, France. Um, but yeah, so everyone... <laughs> Always got to stick it to the French. <laughs> no. Rue hates the French. No, I don't. It's just the language that was Académie Française. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so yes, on that note, um, till next time. Yeah, happy reading, huh? Bye. Thank <laughs> you.